the backside of our mountain is legendary. Like it's why I work at Mount Baldy. It's a straight shot of over 2000 vertical feet and it faces out of the sun. It's got the right exposure. You can get power turns back there weeks after a storm. But I think it's kind of almost like a mind disease for the mountain because once the backside happens, it's a distraction. Our permit currently goes all the way down there. So when you see what our permit is, 800 acres, we're only skiing on a little less than 600 of it because the other 200 plus is on the back. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Yo, I just cannot get enough of California skiing, which is why I am bringing you my third consecutive episode celebrating left coast skiing today. First, a quick reminder to visit stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. There is an article there that accompanies this and every Storm Skiing podcast that includes tons of additional context on our conversation, including maps, historical information, photos, and much more. And there is a lot more to the storm than just the podcast. I am kicking out a minimum of 100 articles per year exploring the world of lift surf skiing in North America, and I want you to join me. Stop getting your ski news from Facebook. Get it from the Storm Skiing newsletter instead. You can also follow the storm on Twitter or Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Before we get to Mount Baldy, here is a quick word from my partner, Aspenware. Close your ticket windows with Aspenware. Aspenware is the leading e-commerce solution purpose-built for the mountain resort industry. They create robust platforms that drive revenue while providing a seamless online experience for resort guests. Utilizing their extensive experience within the mountain resort industry, Aspenware creates customized e-commerce platforms that ensure resort guests spend more time doing what they love and less time standing in lines or booking their trip online. One client found such success with Aspenware's e-commerce solution that they were able to reduce their ticket windows from 13 down to just two. The resort then reassigned those staff members into positions where they could actively engage with guests and bring value to other areas of the resort. Based in Denver, Colorado, Aspenware stands apart as an innovator. They understand the value that software and technology bring to a mountain resort, and they strive to create solutions so good they seem invisible. Visit Aspenware.com to learn more. Episode 128, Robbie Ellingson, General Manager of Mount Baldy, California. You know, there are a few ski areas in this country that just don't make any sense. Mad River Glen, with its cooperative ownership structure and single chair spinning 2,000 vertical feet up the Vermont mountainside. Mount Bohemia, an ungroomed, all-natural snow, extreme skiing paradise in, of all places, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. My home mountain, Mountain Creek, 8,000 vertical feet with high-speed lifts in the last place you would expect to find it, New Jersey. And 3,000 miles to the west, rising improbably above Los Angeles, you have the glorious Mount Baldy. When you think of Southern California, you probably think of palm trees and the ocean and surfboards and eternal sunshine. 
all fair. You probably don't think of big, soaring mountains, 2,000-foot vertical drops, or an endless expanse of glade and bowl skiing, but there it is. Less than an hour from downtown Los Angeles, Mount Baldy. Four double chairs, no lift lines, no pretense, just damn good skiing. If this place doesn't have the wrap it deserves, it's because SoCal can be a fickle place for snow. That is for certain. But when the storms do come, and when Baldy is live from the tops of chairs three and four down to the parking lot, the skiing stacks up to anything not just in the region, but in the entire country. It is that good. It is that unique. It is that special. Why? Well, let's find out. My guest today has been the general manager of Mount Baldy, California since 2009. With four double chairlifts serving more than 800 acres of terrain on a 2,100-foot vertical drop, Mount Baldy is the largest and tallest ski area in Southern California. Robbie Ellingson is my guest. Robbie, welcome back to the storm. So good to catch up. I am so pumped to talk Mount Baldy today, especially now that I've actually had a chance to get out and ski the place. I have to tell you, I have never seen anything quite like it anywhere. How are you doing on this Monday morning? I'm doing great, Stuart. Thank you. And I got to I got to jump in. Actually, I think Bear Mountain have their chair goes slightly higher than ours. Maybe 100 feet. Altitude-wise or vertical drop? I think altitude. I think that their highest chair is 87. I mean, I'm wrong. I could okay. be wrong though. <laughs> I, I, but I, in back of my mind, that's where I've always maybe it's fake news. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Baldy has no one else has a 2,000 foot vertical. That is for I sure. I think that. Yeah. 20, yeah. I think 20, Bear has maybe 15. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. They've got to look like our yeah. our base area is definitely lower. So let's get into the ski season here, Robbie. We keep hearing, I'm on the East Coast, we keep hearing about the 2023 to 24 ski season in Southern California, in California in general, all these atmospheric rivers. We hear a lot about Sierra and, the, and, and Tahoe, but what has it been like in Southern California? It's been a great season. It started early. I mean, so that's good. But there was one kind of like significant event that happened for the course of like a week that really gave it to us. But I can't say that, that it's been like anything like it's been in the Sierras. That's unprecedented. How much did you get out of that long snow event? I believe that was end of February, early March you're referring to. How much snow did you end up getting? <laughs> That's a great question, Stuart, because there's a lot of people that are on our social media feeds that are wondering the same thing. There's a lot <laughs> of hype around it. And I think it's safe to say between, because it, our mountain is so windy. It's so hard to get a good figure. Like when, during that stretch, right, when it was, we call it like the five foot stretch, I guess, of five days, like there were spots where we were, cause everyone was telling us that we needed to pay close attention, you know? And so I'm like, I had every intention of it. And so I'm out there staking things and the spots that we thought were going to be the spots to measure it, they weren't getting what we thought we had. And so I was apprehensive to start talking about it. And then we had a second run where those same spots we're getting like twice as much as I thought they were going to get. So wow. that first run, like I counted 48 inches in that first run. I'm like, and I'm like, all right, cool. Is that it? I'm like, gosh, everybody else is saying they got 90. I'm like, well, I'm like, I could go find 90 someplace if I want to. <laughs> I mean, but like, cause of where it blows in. And then the second round, when we got all of our avalanches, it was like two feet. And 
those spots that had the four feet had three feet where they thought it was it was wow. two. That's kind of the nature of Baldy is that we're like you could see the desert and the ocean from the same spot. So we're like, mm-hmm. you got the Cajon Pass, like there's the next pass, and then the top of the notch, our restaurant, it's called the top of the notch because the notch in the range. And so we, we just get so much damn wind. And we have every exposure to every mountain supposed to every every direction. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough thing to get an accurate measurement. We kind of just go around and look at everything and, and wing it. The joke was this year, sorry, I'm going on, but uh, the joke was this year is I, I wrote, we got about as much as everybody else. It's all I would say. <laughs> it's such an interesting transition from when you get to the Baldy parking lot and you go up this long gully and you have the steep terrain on either side and you get up top and the terrain thins out a little bit, but it's still gladed, but better space trees. And then there's just this super exposed peaks up top. And what's the, what was the snow difference like in the way it stacked up as you progress up through those zones and ultimately up out of bounds to those really exposed peaks on top? Did you have a sense of how the storm stacked up differently from top to bottom? Yeah, I think like being maritime, like how we are, like, yeah, like that's a huge factor. Like sometimes it'll rain all the way to 10,000 feet. And I don't oh, wow. think that really happened. Like there's one event that probably happened this season, but uh, for the most part, this season was cold. And I think that you know when you get those the ARs, the atmospheric rivers is the the buzz term we used to call it the Pineapple Express in the 90s. Is that that's what they bring is that like fluctuation between 5,000 foot snow level that all of a sudden it shoots up to above 10, and then they cold they clear out cold. But uh, th- th- this time around was mostly snow, mostly everywhere. Like we had storms with that, that big one had 10 inches of snow down to a thousand feet one time. Wow. Yeah, that was rough. How, how much of the season were you able to actually ski down to the bottom of lift one? Because that's not super common to be able to do there that, right? No, not, no, it's not. <laughs> that's why like, we were primarily <laughs> downhill loading on chair one. I have a lift off. John Mendez, he did it 57 times this year at the end oh, of the wow. day. That's probably oh, a wow. record. Yeah, I was lucky on the day I was there, I was able to ski all the way to the bottom. It, it got a little dicey down low, but I was able to do it. You know, that big storm that hit SoCal, Mountain High wasn't able to get open for about a week. Big Bear, I think, was open for locals, but no one could drive up there for about two weeks. Snow Valley, I think, got open a little a little sooner. You know, the, Cal, the bottom line is Caltrans in SoCal is not as well equipped as it is up in the Sierras, around Tahoe, around Mammoth. How long was Baldy closed for and how much trouble did they have getting your access road open? We had little windows and it was kind of in conjunction with us trying to get open as well. You know, so we're kind of, I'll say fortunate that we don't have a state highway. It's just county. So it's us and San Bernardino County and LA County and those boys, they work hard and we work closely with them. So just one level of bureaucracy that we don't have to deal with. And that's ultimately like what kept those other resorts closed, unfortunately for them. But yeah, we had, I think it's a stretch of four days where we were closed, maybe three. We get we get forced into closure often because of high winds, because that whole concept of uh, that I talked about with why it's hard to measure the snow. So we get we get winds outside our operating threshold often that, that close us for the day. So if we have a three month winter, we're gonna be closed probably like two days 
a month, no matter what, anyways, just because mm-hmm. of wind. So when I look at those closures, it's there's different reasons of why they're closed. Sometimes it's the road, sometimes it's the wind, sometimes we just are getting unburied. But this round of storms, though, that run was definitely a significant one, but we were able to get over. Even when we had an avalanche over the top of, so we had an out-of-bounds avalanche that covered the bowling alley, is what we call the stretch of road right before the parking lot. I never seen like that. There was 20 feet of snow all the way across it. And so that, that took us like an extra day to get open for that. When, when you do get an avalanche, and you mentioned to me last time you joined me on the podcast that you're the only Southern California skier that has to do avalanche mitigation, do you only do it at the resort? Does the Forest Service do some out of bounds? And when it does happen out of bounds, who digs that out? Is it the county road guys? Is it, do you help out? What, how does that whole infrastructure work? There is no other avalanche mitigation team in Baldy besides us. And we do our area. And when this slide happened, like lots of this, what happened was kind of unprecedented. I'd never seen anything like it that before. And uh, it's raised concern about watching it, you know, and seeing how we can help. But there's spots that are side country down the range from us that are avalanche prone as well that are like, in the area called Movie Slope, which is actually where the ski resort originally started in 52 or before it, I'm not, I think in 52. But um, yeah, that's just, the Forest Service will close it. I guess that's the mitigation that they'll do is if they think that it's going to be that way, they'll close it. That was part of the reason why we were closed extra days after that slide is everyone kind of navigating what the, how much more avalanche prone areas there were, but everything, it just slid probably around like 5 a.m. that morning. Everything did. Everything that wasn't in bounds, because everywhere we were in bounds, we skied everything out. So there wasn't any of the slide. And then that second round we got after the big round, yeah, that was a just the perfect layer for things to break loose. But there was definitely some big slides that came down. And, and looking at it now is wild. There's a lot of big trees that got uh, uprooted. How much mitigation did you have to do this year, and, and how do you do that? Do you use hand charges? Do you use mortars? What? How do you handle that, Abaldi? The first one is we go out with our snowcats and we push everywhere. We have we have push points all across. Like that chair one area is one of the most avalanche prone areas, and we have a there's a cat track that goes all the way out to the point there, the psych out point, and we push all that. That gets most of it. Then we'll uh, we'll ski cut all the known uh, slide paths and then we'll bring charges with us and throw hand charges in places that need it did you have to do more of that this season than usual yeah more than usual but we don't usually have i'd say every year there's a little bit of ac work you know that has to get done and this one was really it was just like the two really big runs that really we had to really work hard at you know at uh doing ac work sometimes like it's more like those those six inch to, to, to 12 inch storms that seem like really, really get, keep us going. Cause you have to, you have to knock everything down. So Robbie, you've been there since 2009, as I mentioned, as general manager, and I, I appreciate that the snow totals are hard to measure, but taking your best guess, how much snow do you think you've gotten this season? And is this the best season that you've had in the time that you run the resort? From the time I've been the GM, it's the best season. I'd say it's probably the best the best overall season that I, I know the resort pretty well. I grew up in Mount Baldy and uh, probably the best season, all things considered, but it's definitely not our, I don't, I wouldn't say it's better than the 04, 05 season as far as snow total or the 97, 98 season was another really 
big one. And as far as how much snow, yeah, I've been out staking it. I mean, got a lot. And overall, our snow pack, considering all of the areas of loaded areas and unloaded areas, we had a compact base of 90 inches, like almost a, a whole piece of EMT. <laughs> like I lose the EMT stake a lot in a lot of places. And then, uh, but like, yeah, there'd be like a foot on it in the spots, like the top of thunder and a good 90 inches there. I mean, it's unbelievable. We're recording this on May 8th, Robbie, and your season is not over. You plan on reopening this Friday, the 12th through Sunday, the 14th, and you're still getting snow. So how much snow did you get last week? What does the resort look like right now? And how long do you plan to keep operating? We had, I call it eight inches on Twitter. But I think mm-hmm. that everyone said I undersold it and thought there was more like 12 at the top of Thunder. But we had one time in, in, two, in what, it was 93 on May 2nd. We mm-hmm. had two feet before. I, I don't anticipate wow. any more snow coming <laughs> this spring. But we're going to run it till the, as long as we can. That's kind of the way how we do it always. And it'll just be weekends the rest of the season. In 98, we were open until June 7th. We'd have to get some cold snaps to like preserve the snow in order to make that right now i've got tickets for sale through may 21st and then i think that memorial day weekend will probably be like kind of a closing weekend with hiking involved to the bottom because we lose the gulch that connects the notch to, to thunder mountain but at the end of the season usually our last our last weekend involves folks walking down to the bottom of thunder from the notch and you know, we'll run chair two to get them back up and they'll walk from the top of chair two back to the notch. How's business been, Robbie? You're the last ski area open in Southern California. I think Mountain High closed last weekend. I, I believe Big Bear closed the weekend before that in Snow Valley. So are, are you getting some of the folks who are still looking to ski? Is business been good? Business has been good. Yes. Yeah. I think this last weekend was probably, I think I said it earlier, we we're talking maybe 10 times better than any weekend in May we've ever had. And it's, you know, part of that's with those other folks being closed. I think when we were getting all those storms earlier this year, I definitely stepped up my game on the, on the social medias. And I think that's really kind of helped a bunch. It's funny, like up on the mountain, I get shouted out to as the guy on Instagram <laughs> constantly like in the parking lot. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> You don't want to hand that off to someone? No, I will. I do. I I, I was working with a gentleman named Zach. It's my marketing coach. And he said, you need to make mm-hmm. okay. every single day. Like, I'll write the report. And then you just need to read that report. And I'm like, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. And, um, my brother had to leave right kind of in the middle. My brother, Tommy, who runs the operations at the top, along with a few other key guys. He was gone for a lot of the season, and I was having him do it. And then so I jumped in and started doing it myself, and people seemed to like it. Are, are, did you get used to it? Are you warming up to it? No, <laughs> I don't like it at all. <laughs> it takes me like so long to do it. I, I talk into my phone like a crazy person for gosh for 20 30 takes and then like i only post like just a little bit of it because i don't really do much preparing i just i kind of just film things and then i'll turn and talk and who knows what i end up with at the end of the day but it sounds like the reaction to it has been good oh yeah yeah people love it it's i was not (laughs) expecting that except i had one person make a funny comment once that 
said, is this person even likable? <laughs> I, was like, you know, I wrote them all good. I think I made a comment. Well, that's a good question. I don't I, talk to my wife about that. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. Well, you're you're expanding your skill set. If folks do come out to Mount Baldy this weekend, are you still spinning all four lifts? No, no. We stopped. Uh, we stop on chair four. Early. Chair four sees doesn't see a lot of operation typically because it's out in the sun all day, faces the westerly exposure. But it's been done for I think mid April was its last, and it went late. Like we had a lot of snow over there. That we had a really hot spell that just cooked it. Chair twos will be going this weekend, and chair three, there's no obviously chair one always turns just because that's the up and down um, aspect of our operation. And we think that chair two will will be able to get through this weekend and next weekend with it, and then after that we'll be walking to chair three. Well, what time does chair three soften up in the spring, like in the late spring, like this? Right away, especially like this weekend coming up, it's going to be a scorcher like 65 almost 70 up on the mountain during the day so it'll be warm right away but with this week we have we have cold temps all all week so it's going to stay nice and set up and we'll be able to get a lot of mountain groomed so you've had a great winter sounds like you've been doing some good business i'm not sure if you're public with your skier visit numbers mountain high reported theirs last weekend 300,000 they did they said it was their best season in years. Do you release any sort of metrics around how Baldy did from a skier visit point of view for the season? No, no, we never have. And uh, perhaps we could probably get into that. But I mean, we're lucky to do 100,000 visits in a year, in a given year. And that includes all of our summertime stuff. I mean, you've seen every kind of season. You mentioned just now that you grew up in Mount Baldy. So tell us about that. I mean, it's this really unique community. You drive up from LA, which obviously just sprawls and sprawls forever. And it's this tropical world with palm trees and the ocean. And then you drive up and you're just in this little mountain community and it's just so funky and so cool. And what was it like to grow up in Mount Baldy? It was good. I mean, I like it. I mean, I went to high school down the mountain because it's a, it's small. So everyone goes down the mountain every day. There's no gas stations and there's not a lot of places to work, you know, or any really. And most all of our staff comes from down below. There's a few of us that, that live up on the mountain, but it's, you know, in 20 minutes, you're on at the 210 freeway. 78 is when my dad moved our family up there and it's great. And then I went to that Baldy school from kindergarten to eighth grade. And then from that went to down to Altaloma for high school. And the kids from Baldy kind of like go to either Claremont, Upland or Altaloma which is all just right there on the 210 freeway in the, the sprawl of Southern California. So it's <laughs> funny. I don't feel very different living up there than anybody else, except for the fact that we're up there and, and where it's raw and it snows and, and we're used to the elements, but I'm conditioned to come down the mountain every day, no matter what. In fact, I'm talking to you in my office is located right at the 210 freeway. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. So your father moves the family up in 1978. Do you have a sense of what drew him up there and and to to have that sort of life in the mountains? Yeah, he bought the uh, Mount Baldy Lodge, but that's quite the mover and shaker. He had a car wash before that on Route 66 Foothill Boulevard and then sold that and bought the Mount Baldy Lodge located in the heart of Mount Baldy Village in 78. He just got himself into everything he could get into on the mountain, which led him to the ski resort. And then me watching that, that was kind of like a destiny almost. (laughs) 
so did he run the mountain? How was he involved in the ski area? Uh, so he bought the Melbody Lodge, and that's down in the heart of the village. And it's a restaurant with ca- night- nightly rental cabins and like little recreational area in the back, like a little micro resort. And became really good friends with the current then um, president of the corporation, Pete Olson. And Pete and Eric Olson ran the mountain for about three decades. Eric's still probably the MVP to this day of the mountain. I don't know what we do without Eric. But my dad and were like really good buddies. And my dad ran the marketing aspect of the mountain. And that's kind of how I, I, I would watch him do that. So eventually you left Southern California. Where did you go? What did you do? And what ultimately drew you back? I went up to Mount Hood for, when I was a kid, we used to go to, up to Mount Hood for race camp as a kid. And then uh, that was kind of like heaven on earth. So when I left in 2000, that was like a, a no-brainer place of where to go because you could you know, ski all summer. And then came back to San Diego and I was the sales manager for a surfboard manufacturer. And then eventually, as, as everything kind of kept progressing at the ski resort, my dad is taking on more and more responsibility up there. It became apparent that it was time for me to come back home and help the business. <laughs> back then, I actually, had, I had anticipated starting my own surfboard brand and doing it in the summers mm-hmm. and just doing mm-hmm. the ski resort in the winter. But uh, that did not work out. <laughs> the ball and chain, <laughs> the ball and chain, eventually, eventually uh, took control. I mean, you must have been so attuned to Mount Baldy. What was it like growing up skiing there with your siblings, and just I would imagine just having free run of the mountain. It was great. I mean, I I, th- I look. It's fun. I have a totally different perspective on it now than I did when I came back to Mount Baldy to work. Because growing up there, you think you've got it figured out, and you know I did. I had powder days figured out and spring skiing figured out and knew where all the jumps were and we skied our asses off you know it was it was great but you you don't realize how much you're not there because you go when it's good when i came back to work i was like it was the rude awakening i was like wow i'm crazy what a rude little (laughs) unappreciative boy i was because when you're there every day it's a completely different animal and I don't know what, what we do without the crew that's there every day and that's been doing it for decades. I mean, take us into that. What was your awakening like? What what did you what were those things that you realized had to be done that you just were oblivious to as a kid? Being on the mountain when it's raining. <laughs> like, like everyone just leaves <laughs> when that happens. Like who goes to the mountain when it's raining or when it's just nuking wind or when the shit hits the fan right it's not like as a kid or a visitor you're oblivious to that and that's the nature of the resort is it's like a little mini city right that like you're running with a small crew you know or even if it's a big resort you know i I was just listening to tom's the other day talking about how difficult heavenly is to operate oh i bet (laughs) it must be wild (laughs) but it is all regardless of how large it is or how little it is it's still, you got to make hamburgers for people and give them bathrooms and then ride them on the chair. And then you, you supply the water system for them, the septic, all of the stuff. Then you're making snow and the grooming. So it's all of those things are all happening at every single resort, regardless of how big or small it is. And it's just relative to how many, how big the team is to do it. So as a kid in Baldy being small, I thought I had it figured out. Like I started working at the mountain really young. Like I was had me in the parking lot parking cars when I was like 13 years old on busy snow days before we could go up. That was like, we were like told, all right, before you go up, you have to either pick up trash or park cars or whatever. And if there's a race, you have to help set up the race. And 
So through those little jobs, I thought I knew what the hell was going on. <laughs> so when I came, mm -hmm. so I really came in like I like Charles Barkley pulling down a rebound, like I knew what the hell was going on. And and no, it took after those first couple seasons, I really was put in the check about how humble you have to be. And what what kept you there, Robbie? Because you could have got spooked by that and said, you know what? There's other ways to make a living. This isn't what I thought it was. I'm going back down the mountain. I'll see you the next powder day. What kept you there? I don't know. No, it's a sense of duty. It's it's like it's a very fulfilling thing to do. Like I love it. I love being on the mountain after closing. I love doing sweep. I like driving snow cats. I love it. I love all of it. And there's so many things going on. And when it goes super south, you're hyper focused on the goal. And that that is that's awesome. Yvonne Chouinard, Patagonia. He his book, Let My People Surf. He describes himself as like an 80% proficiency guy. You know, he learns all sports to 80% proficiency. And I equate it, it's because like, it's like that learning curve, like you're super focused on it, right? It's so like when I'm like, I got into mountain biking, I'm not very good. <laughs> and like, it's all you're thinking about when you're going down the trails, like staring at that trail, because the moment something else comes up, like you're, you're freaked, right? Like you can't, you'll, you, you're mm -hmm. hyper focused. So like when, when things go south, the mountain, and there's just you're just hyper focused on what's going on. That's extremely rewarding. What are the sorts of things that get you in that sort of focus? When you say things go south, are you talking about someone gets injured on the hill? There's a slide on the hill. The there's rain coming in. There's wind. You have, you have folks stuck on the chairlift and have to evac them. Like what what sorts of things get you in that state? You just named a lot of them, <laughs> but like all of the fryer could break <laughs> is another one. Right. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be so glamorous as those things, you know, but those are a lot of them. Like, I mean, when the park, when the people start piling into the parking lot, that's another one that's wild. Drivers like by nature, just treat the parking lot attendant like shit, like, like, like mm, anywhere okay. you go. So I'm always like, and I know that. So I'm always making sure I'm in the parking lot when that first rush happens in the morning to make sure that the parking lot gets started the right way. You know, it's one of those things mm -hmm. that like you're hyper-focused on making sure that the little puzzle gets started because if it gets started the wrong way, then it just turns into a mess and you can't fit everybody in your parking lot. That's, you know, that's part of the nature of Aldi too is we have 900 parking spots. That's one of our limiters. Right. So it, it sounds like you felt a sense of duty, Robbie, from growing up there, from your family's legacy, from this relationship with the Olsons. Talk to us about that legacy. I, I think there's not... Whoever owns Baldy, it's not obvious to those of us on the outside. So who owns Baldy now? And talk us back through the legacy on these folks who have made the ski area what it is. Uh, Mount Baldy is owned by Mount Baldy Ski Lifts, Inc. And um, the primary shareholder of that company is uh, my dad. And that's happened through acquisitions of previous investors and uh, making sure everyone's taken care of. I guess that's the legacy is that, so 1952, like the way I understand it is in 1952, there was like an, an investment group that started the place Leffler and Chafee. It's, I don't think it's related to the Chafee College that's in our foothills. And they were hired by an investment group. And then I think the 69 flood put them out of business. Then a second group bought it out of foreclosure, Western Resorts. Chuck Lucider uh, headed that up. And then later on, the corporation changed the name to Mount Baldy Skiless Inc., just a name change. It wasn't anything more than that. So it's been that same since 69. And we're all pretty tight. You know, like I said, uh, Herb Leffler, the first general manager, his son, he created, well, he has sons. He's got three. They're all legends in the ski industry. Pete Leffler's been 
like running Dina Star Rousingall for decades still. John Leffler is a career ski coach, and that's where I learned to ski race from. And then his other one, Richard Leffler, uh, was in the industry for a while. I don't know of him so well. And then Lou Sider came along and did it for, I think, almost a decade, maybe a little bit more. But then Pete Olson like, was like kind of his like protege and was, you know, everyone. I mean, I remember being a little kid riding the, the chair with Chuck Lou Sider and he had his like cool, like white, like Revo's on. And he was a cool cat. Like I'd always like, I'd sit there and like wait so I could like time to get on, get on thunder with him. <laughs> and then, uh, and then same with Pete. Like I used to follow Pete around a lot. I skied with that guy a lot, <laughs> lots of backside trips. So yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not sure if I answered your question as much as just gave you a little bit more of a history of like, I think the one that you're asked who owns Mount Baldy. And so all along those way, there were different people involved all along the way. And my dad's been pretty, it seems to me from my perspective, I'm not in his head, but I watch him and he, he always wants to make sure everyone's happy and taken care of, you know, at the end of the day, like we get a long strike from like, Right after I got there, I think it was from 2012 to 17 or 11. Yeah, 2012 to 17 was a five-year drought that was gnarly. Like no one, I don't think there's anyone alive that's ever seen anything like that in LA, like the more in the Southern California area. And that got really hard during those five years. And uh, somehow we we got through it. (laughs) When you moved up there in 1978, Southern California skiing was a very different thing than it is today. And it was a bunch of independent ski areas. You had Goldmine, which is now Bear Mountain. You had Snow Summit, you had Snow Valley, Waterman, Mountain High, which was three different ski areas. And you had Mount Baldy. And over time, that's really condensed to basically three operators. Bear and Snow Summit were bought by Mammoth about a decade ago. They bought Snow Valley. So they're all owned by Altera Mountain Company now. Mountain High has combined those three ski areas, and they've also purchased Dodgers and China Peak. Mount Waterman basically doesn't even operate. It hasn't even turned on the lifts in years. So it's it's this slow consolidation of California skiing and Southern California skiing in particular. What's been your reaction, your thoughts, as you've watched this consolidation all around you? It's wild. I mean, to be honest, all along, I'm so focused on just Baldy, and I don't know that I would qualify as like a snow sports industry person, you know, so, but what you say has been happening, like I've been watching closely for the last five years, right? More than that, but not quite. When I first came to Baldy, it was just about Baldy and uh, our summertime operations was my 100% focus for those first five years. Now that all that's happening, yeah, it's, it's cool, I think. I mean, it's what choice do you have? Like if you don't look at whatever is happening in the world as good news, then, you know, you better be ready to go like fight it. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it puts us in a, I think in a good, in a good situation We're the first one is online, like despite what they say in Wrightwood, we are the closest Mm -hmm. ski resort to Southern California. And that's, we're in a prime position. People seem like they like us for what we are and and it's good. Mountain I mean, Mount Waterman is still kicking. I think they might be able to figure something out. I know they still have a permit. I ask about them with our, we have the same permit administrator, Mountain High, us and them in the Angeles National Forest and the, in the San Gabriel National Monument. And I wouldn't count out that something could happen there, especially because the next decade is going to be legendary of snowfall in Southern California, I've predicted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Waterman's funny. They have a Facebook page that's active. And every weekend they say, we got all this snow, but we can't open for insert reason. And the last time they actually 
open for skiing was 2020. So it's a, it's always a running joke among the, their Facebook followers that they're just posting on Facebook to keep their Forest Service lease. Now, obviously, I think it's probably more complicated than that, but bottom line is it doesn't function very often. I'm, I'm curious about this, Robbie. Now that three of your competitors have been consolidated under the Icon Pass, that's obviously drawn a lot of Southern California skiers to that product anecdotally, and I know this is probably hard to measure, but do you get, do you have any sense of whether the Icon Pass has been good for Baldy? In other words, as those ski areas to your east get more crowded, do you find more folks just coming to you and saying, yeah, we had to get out of the circus? Yeah, but the way that the winters are in Southern California, it's hard to really put a finger on what's going on. When the mountains are white, people are going. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Like it, And there's three games in town, ultimately, you know, Wrightwood, Big Bear, and Mount Baldy. And we're the smallest of it. So, And whether it's skiing and snowboarding, I mean, really the biggest thing is people going to play in the snow. And it's funny, like when you go to, to Salt Lake and you see the way the Wasatch is there, you know, above Salt Lake, Every time I go there, I'm like, crazy. This is like what Southern California looks like sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And when it's like that, that, that's the biggest driver of what's going on. When that, when the mountain isn't white, then that's where you got what's going on with this, with the season pass thing with them. And I don't know. I think the ticketed guests is still kind of the big revenue maker, at least for us. And so I presume that that's got to be for them as well. I know that with the season pass, base is helping with keeping your predictability and knowing that you got people coming because you sold those. So with our season pass, right before I came to the mountain in 09, my dad was running all the marketing and he came up with this idea for a virtual pass. And it was, you'd pay 49 bucks and you would make a reservation on our reservation system that our in-house tech team built. It was a little clunky, but it worked. And they went bananas, like selling them all over the world. <laughs> because for $49, you can conceivably, the breakage on it was massive, but then, then he's, oh, we could charge more. So they started like charging more for them. And then we had our regular season passes, then we had a drought. And then, so the two prices kind of converged on each other. And so we got rid of that virtual pass. And I was the one that kind of got stuck left holding the buck on that to solve that problem. <laughs> so our season pass membership went to nothing by 2017 or 16, we had less than 100 season pass holders basically because people couldn't figure out why they weren't so cheap anymore. Now we've built that back up and I don't know, I'm probably like telegraph your question, but with the Mountain High three-pack pass and the Altera passes, ours as an in independent pass is just makes the most sense. Like, it, and it's good. Like we've got more season pass holders than we've had since I started. And so, yeah, I guess your question is, is yeah, we are getting some of that. Plus also we're the only place where you can really ski or ride steeps in Southern California. Yeah, it, it's an irreplaceable piece of real estate, Robbie. And you couldn't build a new ski area around Los Angeles now if you tried. I just don't think you would ever get the permits from the Forest Service. I, I think there would be too many advocacy groups against it. You have this amazing location and it seems like a lot of folks don't appreciate what they have there with this big steep mountain and the terrain there is legit. Curious, Altera dominates Southern California from a mega pass perspective. I'd imagine Vale wants in. Have they come up the access road with an open checkbook and asked to buy your permit from Albaldi? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I think that maybe it's because no, no, no one's done that. Um, 
<laughs> but maybe it's because of the vibe we let off. I don't know. I, I, I made a comment on your Twitter page a few months ago. I said, because I, what happened? You, something happened in the news and you were running down the SoCal thing and you, you called us rocklessly independent. And I was like, yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> so like maybe that's why. I don't know. I mean, I go to all the all the NSA meetings, but yeah, no no one's done that. And I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why that may or may not be the case. I mean, we don't really have any interest of not running the place, so maybe that's it. But you know, who knows? Someday. Yeah. So so if they if they did come up the road and said, hey, here's uh you know two hundred million dollars, your family is not interested in this time. Yeah, we're not listed for sale. I mean. Everything's for sale, right? I mean, like in yeah. essence, like if someone wanted to buy my car off me and they offered enough money, like in a parking lot, I'd probably take it for the right amount, right? Right. <laughs> but I just think of how long it takes to to buy a house. If you're like, when I bought my house, it took like a year ultimately. Like, so the thought of selling or getting somebody involved is takes a lot out of you. So that have to be like a realistic conversation of like, all right, cool, like. What's our benchmarks of time? You have to like almost kind of coach us through it a little bit. I don't know. It's uh, it's something we think about, but at the same time, there's no one knocking on the door. So we're, we're here to just run our business and do it well. And it's super rewarding. And it's kind of nice knowing that uh, the position we are in the markets, we ultimately just like, like that. It's such an interesting spot, Rob. You have this irreplaceable asset. In doing research for this podcast, I stumbled across the 1987 Los Angeles Times article, and it quoted one of the Olson folks. Your father was also quoted in that article, but it, it said that Baldy could be the, quote, Disneyland of the mountains, end quote. It obviously has not become that. It remains really rustic feeling. I mean, you get up lift one and you feel like you're in like remote Montana or something. Yeah. It does not feel like you're right over LA until you look down and see it. Why didn't Baldy become the Disneyland of the mountains? Why does it still remain this throwback area with this really independent culture? So the there is a hyper focus on developing the mountain to the backside and to the top by Western Resorts when they started. And Chuck, like that, and that was the dream. That was the dream that I knew of like as a kid. And we still, we, the backside of our mountain is legendary. Like it's so good. Like it's why I work at Mount Baldy is because Sabine backside is awesome. It's a straight shot of over 2000 vertical feet, depending on how high you hike up or what you get, like, and it's, it's good. And it faces out of the sun. It's got the right exposure. You can get power turns back there weeks after a storm in the trees. Like right now, like we'll, we'll probably go get it this week at some point in time. Yeah. hundred percent. It's why, why I work there. And it's special when you get to share with people, but I think it's kind of was a, almost like a mind disease for the mountain as well, <laughs> because everyone's so focused on once the backside happens and it, it's a distraction, you know, it's like a building that like chair four exists because of the development for the backside, because there was a five and six were supposed to come out of Lattle Creek, sorry, out of Stockton flats up there. I said Lattle Creek because there was a failure. I see a failure to kind of identify the things that are stopping that from happening. Like Lattle Creek, like they part of their like water association is they don't want a ski resort up there because they don't want to have a ski town. I think, I don't know. I mean, now it's probably, who knows what it's like now because that was decades ago. So there might be a different community outlook on what that would look like. 
our permit currently goes all the way down there. So when you see what our permit is, 800 acres, we're only skiing on a little less than 600 of it because the other 200 plus is on the back. And then the going to the topic, if you look it up, you'll see there's a there's that, that Save Baldy video. If you look that up, that was done in early 80s before Weller Miller was Warren Miller. I think he was called Hermosa Films. They did a story about like a, a little documentary about Baldy and expanding to the top and the challenges there. And the wilderness boundary is kind of always in threat of like expanding to where it would go into our permitted area. And that's kind of, in theory, ongoing. I think I've kind of come to terms with what that is and what that isn't. And so, but that big expansion is what the Disneyland thing is. Because at one time, I have some letters and stuff where there was even conversations in like the late 50s between between Disney and the mountain. But that's a long time ago. <laughs> and like you said, it's a lot different now. <laughs> You know, up until 2007 or so, that Stockton Flats expansion was still on your trail maps as a proposed expansion. Is that just completely off your radar now? Is it something you still think about? Is there is there any chance that either of those expansions would ever happen? Well, the reason that that map is still on the side of the notch now even is because I can't get myself to rebuild the map with it on there. But ultimately, that'll probably get redone this summer with it not on there. I don't think it's relevant to our day-to-day marketing to talk about that anymore. That doesn't mean that it's off the radar. It's still in our permitted area, and I anticipate leaving it in our development plan as we renew our permit. Is it our hyper-focus? No. That's the thing is I think it's one of the reasons why we've kind of lagged behind is because of too much focus on it. You know, when you go up Baldy and you ride that chair one, it which, by the way, you have the hardest working lift attendants I've ever seen. They because they have to load the person on, they have to load the skis behind them. They, and then at the top, they have to get you off and get you out of the way. And they have to repeat that every time. So props to them. Please, please uh, let them know I said that. I will. But you ride that lift up and it's almost like you go into a different decade. I mean, the place is a total throwback. It is so cool to be up there. You're at the top of the world. You're in Southern California, but it feels like the high Alpine. How much of this vibe, Robbie, is intentional? And and do you make an effort to preserve? And how much of that is just the reality of of Baldy being what it is and you're focused on the skiing and and that's who it happens to attract? I mean, talk a little bit about that and, and how important that is to you or not. It is what it is, I'd say. As we improve infrastructure, you know, I think that there'll be some more amenities as time goes on. Like there's there always is, <laughs> believe it or not, like 10 years ago, it wasn't as nice as it is now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can't really get away from it. Really, it's 7,800 feet is our base area because it's upside down, right? So there's just, there's obstacles with that. Like we're locked in, like on a winter like this, like we don't, like that, we have an access road that goes from the bottom up but when we get big winters or big snowfall we can't like it's a lot of work to clear it so we can drive vehicles up there so everyone's either in the passenger cat coming up or up that chair and that passenger cat didn't exist before last season so it was was snowmobiles or sitting on someone's lap and in one of the groomers (laughs) or the chair so that that right there is why it's so it's like that up there like you're we're remote I mean, that, that's unbelievable I, because I was wondering, you know, you have, you get up there and you have the base lodge and you have a whole kitchen and everything else. 
And you were just taking that up on snowmobiles before this year? The chair. We load the chair with oh, all wow. the supplies early in the morning. And every carrier just ride like kegs of beer, you name it. It all goes on there. That is the hardest working chairlift in America. Yeah. So, Robbie, Mount Baldy is on Forest Service land. And like all ski areas on Forest Service land, I imagine you're required to file a master development plan every decade or so. These are public documents and should be available online. I can't find yours. I, You know, that's not on you. It's just not on the Angeles Forest Service website that I can find. I'm sure it's buried there somewhere. But lay it out for us. What, when was your most recent master development plan? And what are the priorities on there other than those expansions? What, what realistically is are your short-term goals to develop Baldy? 93 is the most recent when our permit renewed last and we're renewing now on an extension. The master development plan from 93 is essentially the same as it was from 87, I think it was, or was it 20 years or 10 years before that? I'm not sure. But what's new is we will keep that expansion on there, but the focus is more on a fifth chair up the mountain so that we can relieve chair one and increase capacity because we're limited to what chair one could bring up and then also down before dark. So we need to have the mountain empty before dark every day. So we're, when people arrive and how we time that, that was one of the cool things about COVID actually is that it really kind of helped us learn about those time blocks and how to maximize the hours of the day better. But yeah, another chair up, chair one, more facilities at the base of the mountain for uh, snowmaking, or sorry, for like a snowplay area, because we don't load anyone under 40 inches up the chair. They used to. <laughs> there was a time where there were there people carrying babies on the chair. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. But uh, yeah, so we want to have that stuff down at the bottom. Just things that are going to turn, like just immediate ROIs is my focus. But master development plans are things that are like, I presume like that we're talking about things that are outside of the current infrastructure. So there's like deferred maintenance things that have to happen also that are kind of take precedence over a master development plan. Like you probably didn't notice we have like a, like right when the the summertime enhancement act came in 011, was that that one that was or 13? Around then. Yeah. Yeah, um, Around then. So we jumped on that right away and put in a, a, a zip line platforms with four lines side by side. And like it lands at that right at the top of chair one there when you get off and then it comes cool. down from across the way. Another thing is probably one of those, a, a zip line from the top of the notch down to the bottom. It'd be, I think, the longest in the continental United States. That'd be major. Yeah, that'd be major. So something like that is maybe something, but something with ROI right away as far as master development plans. Uh, with this big winter, it's been good. So we've got some good plans right away to do a phase rebuild on chair three. So that chair three, Thunder Mountain is gonna look a lot different next year. And then we bought a Yawn three pack right at COVID that is in our parking lot that we're gonna redesign and replace chair two with. Oh, nice. And then that gives chair one lots of parts so it can keep running, but chair one will be as it is, as long as it can. And then we would have a redundancy of a fifth chair up or gondola or something. But that's our big nut in the uh, master development plan that I think is what is important. And then that with that fifth way up would be a different facility, top and bottom. Like I'm imagining something detachable. Okay. Well, yeah, let's talk about each of those individually. So so that because chair one passes through kind of a gully and it's pretty narrow in there. So would you imagine the lift five, I guess, the second lift traveling parallel to that or would you yeah. have it landing more where chair two does 
So the jury's out like, yeah, landing where chair two does or parallel on the other side to where our rent, our current rental building is. That current rental building is going to get flipped over. We're going to move that to over where the other side of chair one is and focus on that snowplay area. Okay. That's interesting. So, so the, so you imagine a detach, what is the main consideration between going Gandhi or going chair? Is it, is it a cost thing? Is it whatever lift makes more sense? Kind of what, what's your thought process around how you're going to select that lift? Cause that'll be a huge investment. That's a little ways off. So I'm not investing too much time in thinking about it. I definitely think that something detachable that is easier. Cause that's one of the, like we run chair one so damn slow, right. That, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that people could get on and off it on foot. So that's our biggest opportunity is foot traffic at the mountain. It's not, I mean, although we are going to have an epic decade of snow the next, <laughs> the next, <laughs> the next 10 years in Southern California, I think eventually you'd be a fool to bet on it. But, <laughs> but, but eventually, like, ultimately that's our bread and butter is the foot traffic and getting people up to that elevation. And what would be the sense of, of keeping chair one in? Is, is that just a history thing, a nostalgia thing? Is it, is it, you know, you love those old towers? It seems like if you had a detach in there, you wouldn't need that chair one anymore. The redundancy is always good. And also, if we could run chair one at regular speed without any foot traffic on it, dude, that would be awesome. Because that's part of the reason why you don't keep lapping chair one on a powder day is because, because it's so slow getting back. But if that thing was running normal with just skiers and snowboarders, it would be magical because that all that stuff on the face is, I mean, that's as good as anywhere in the world when that's good. And there was a lot of days like that this year. Like the face of one is is really good. Yeah, it, it's legit terrain. I mean, it, it... If folks are anywhere near LA and they haven't had the chance to ski it, next time they get a dump, go there. So chair two, you said you bought a Yon. Where did you buy that from? And what's the vintage on that lift? It was originally installed at Palisades, Tahoe, and Soldier Mountain in Idaho had purchased it from them and then never got around to putting it in. And so we bought it from them. And I believe it's late 80s so chair two what's your goal there just more capacity because it's a double chair now you just want a newer lift what are you trying to achieve there is it going to run the same line it'll run the same line and uh it'll it'll be a triple instead of a double chair two was was rebuilt in i think early 80s and it has some it doesn't have the power that it needs when we're really busy we have to skip chairs on it so we have the snowmaking infrastructure on chair two is solid. We can get chair two open as soon as anybody else in Southern California. And it's a good beginner route and has like an area for a nice train park at the top, you know, so I, we're imagining like a surface lifts from the notch up to the top of chair two, you know, to start things off. And then once you get the whole loop done, then you have that chair two with a triple capacity will be, you know, it's sometimes that's all we have is man-made snow in Southern California. We can't make it all over Thunder. We can make it there. So that's we need to really focus on that on that area. So the current chair two goes really high out of the load station. Are you going to be able to run the new chair a little bit lower to the ground? Yeah. Or is it still just... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we'll have a hold down portal at the bottom. That's another aspect of why it needs to get replaced. It's the highest you are off the ground at any point in time in Mount Baldy and it's a beginner chair. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was not expecting that. I was like, whoa, I'm glad this thing has a bar. Yeah, um, so so like talk us on you. <laughs> yeah. So talk us through the upgrades to chair three. You said that's happening this summer. Yep. Yeah, we'll be uh 
doing a phase rebuild on it as a Mueller. Nice. So, so what does that mean? Are are you are you getting new carriers? Are you just redoing the the drive and the and the mechanical parts? Like, we'll start with carriers. So, new carriers for this for this summer. Are they going to have safety bars on them? That's the one lift that you don't have bars on right now. Yeah, there are there there are bars on it, restraint bars. And are they are they Mueller carriers or or are they Skytrax or something? What where, where are the carriers from? The Mueller carriers. Are they new? Half of them are. Because Mueller hasn't made parts in a while, have they? No. Or do they no. still make parts? No, no, they, they, yeah, no, they're they're still firing. Up. They're a Canadian company, so they're, that's that's okay. where, that's where their stuff goes in. There's not a lot of them here, but but yeah, the the Mueller was just repurchased this just this last year. I think John Gibson is his name, and they're they're looking to keep going. Okay, great. So you're getting new carriers. The current ones you have are center pole. Are, are the are the other ones kind of open bucket style? The new ones? They're bale ones. Okay. And then, you, and then they'll have the safety bar on them. And then are you redoing any of the mechanical pieces of the lift? Yeah, slowly but surely. I think that drive actually is good now. And I wouldn't think that, I think before we replace that drive, we would do the drive on chair four so that we can do uh, up and downhill loading on it in the summer. Mm, okay. So, so chair four for now is the only one you didn't mention that has any pending upgrades. Is that your next goal for chair four is is a new drive. Anything else planned for that one? Chair four would be a new drive. And after the new drive, then we would probably probably rearrange the, because when you come down, it's a lot higher because we want a downhill load. So we might put another hole down, but one thing at a time. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit yeah. further out. Yeah, it crosses over a couple pretty tall valleys there on its way up. What, one thing I thought was really interesting about Baldy, Robbie, was the way that you open the mountain to follow the sun. And, and smart skiers follow the sun anyway, but I've never seen a ski area actually anchor their lift operations to it the way that Baldy does. So talk a little bit about how you open the mountain in the mornings after someone rides up chair one and where they're able to go from there at, at different times of day. That's kind of new. We started doing that last season, and a lot of it is from just being short-staffed from the COVID debacle. But it makes sense, and we do it now too. Like we stay open later. As soon as the time change, we change our hours. And I like to think of it as like it's part of our brand of educating people of where they want to be and why. And every once in a while, we'll have a conversation with someone that's angry because chair four is closed. I'm like, oh, it's it's hot and slushy over there. What are you talking about? Like. Like yeah. go over there now. <laughs> like sorry that you missed it. You know, it's like going for a surf and being mad that it's blown out when it was glassy in the morning. And it's kind of how I look at our brand is like we're that we're kind of like a surfer's mountain. You don't put a square peg in a round hole. You go when the conditions are good and you you pay attention and and if you if you work at it hard enough and learn enough, like it's always good somewhere, right? And so you can figure it out. We need to be efficient. And so that's part of in the effort of being efficient. Yeah, it was it was amazing because the whole thing was in the sun. I happened to be there on a bluebird day and chair four was open when I got there. And it was, you know, it took a minute to soften up. I'm kind of looking over and everyone's talking about chair three and one's gonna open. And it finally opened, I think, one one thirty and chair four closed down. And you get over there and you could see why it was closed, because it was still hard in the areas that got the sun late, and then you could find those shoots that are over off of let me pull out my trail map here i'm thinking of uh, andy's andy's and herbs probably yeah exactly those were beautiful 
yeah. some of the best runs I skied in my whole Southern California or my whole California trip and the stuff off of uh, like tortilla flats that was facing that direction was all still hard. So it, it made sense, but I, if I wouldn't have had the, the nudge, I'm not sure if I would have thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably some more communication on our part of like the why would be. Yeah. It was smart. And you know, I never waited in a, in a, a lift line anyway, all day long, which was great. You know, as you, as you look to grow, Robbie, you mentioned last time we spoke, you do have snowmaking and you have a pretty big reservoir up there. We hear a lot about water shortages in Southern California. Just talk us through this. What's your snowmaking system look like? And what's your potential to grow that thing over time? So we have 10 million gallon, 9 million gallon, yeah, 10 million gallons of storage. We have a 9 million gallon reservoir and a 1 million gallon reservoir. And, and it's all about recharge, you know, to kind of rationalize getting more infrastructure. So we need to be able to recharge it and everything comes from a lower elevation up. We have some plans in the works to get more water. And as we get more water, then the next step would be to build a, a third reservoir. There's a couple different spots we have in mind. <clears throat> but um, yeah, once that third reservoir goes in, then that would be, that would give us enough water to start putting in an automatic system on chair three, because the infrastructure is already on chair three. We already have a loop that goes up skyline and down toilet bowl, easy road. To Bonanza and uh, and also uh, Shortcut Robbins. Where would be your next priority to expand the system? Would you, would you ever want to expand out of Chair Four? I think if we were to put snowmaking on Chair Four, it would be just the lower part, and then that's a master development plan too. Is a is a is a short beginner lift up the bottom of Turkey Shoot because that's a really good learning terrain. And early in the season, when it matters, I think that the man-made snow over there would last just fine. And also the man-made snow just lasts longer anyways than the, the natural. When you say you're trying to get more water, Robbie, where is that water going to come from? All over the place. <laughs> like it's just every nook and cranny where it comes out, but we can make an agreement to get it. You know, it's, it's kind of how, how we do it. I, I, I joke, but like, I mean, we, we have a, a, a sufficiency determination plan that was filled out that is not 100% utilized yet. But that's ultimately what it is, is that the water table in the mountain puts out uh, springs and, and we uh, capture it and send it back up and put it in the reservoir so that it's there to make snow with or use for firefighting purposes. How much easier is it in a year like this when you've gotten so much snow that I, I guess is gonna melt back into these reservoirs? Oh yeah, it'll be, next season will be easy to be filled. In fact, it's going to be so easy to get filled that we drained our reservoir last week to patch some patch some holes before we start filling it back up. You you mentioned firefighting just now, Robbie. How much of a concern is that for you? Is is it something that you've thought about from a mitigation point of view, either thinning out your woods or or how you would deploy your snowmaking system if a fire did threaten Mount Baldy? Yeah, it's always on the mind. Growing up in a mountain community in California, I imagine, I, I presume that any person living in the Sierras and San Gabriels is hypersensitive to fires. I don't think about tornadoes or even earthquakes, really, but fires. So, yeah, we're tuned in on that for sure. Our snowmaking system is available to be deployed anytime it needs to be. And uh, our ponds are, are dipped from the fire agencies. And, I mean, I think that happens every every other season has, has any has a fire ever threatened the ski area 
Uh, now since like 82 or 83, there was a fire that started at the ski area. I was just, you know, I was little. Um, but yeah, I, re- I remember, I remember when that happened. All right, Robbie, let's, let's wrap up here today with a talk on your passes. You mentioned earlier, you rebuilt your season pass base. I'm seeing a bunch of different things on your website. Last year, my record show, it was a $499 price. This year I'm seeing $799, but then you also have an annual pass for $599. Kind of talk us through this, your season pass suite and how you've rebuilt that and what you're offering now. We kind of set our season pass price each season based on the season we just had and how much more skiing is left in the current season. And that's that that annual pass is, is the rest of this season. And then it also includes summertime access and discounted activities in the summer, and then also uh, next season. And then the winter pass that's just winter goes on sale in the you know after the the fall equinox when people start thinking about about winter again. The price right now is is seven ninety nine online. Is is that what you're going to go with, or is is that just a placeholder? Yeah, they're currently five ninety nine for an annual pass. Oh, sorry, you're looking at the. No, where are you seeing this winter pass? Like down the page. If, if yeah. you go, if you scroll down to the okay, bottom. Okay, got it. Yeah, they're not for sale, and that pass could see a flash sale, but the reason that's there because that's the value. If you look at the the fifteen hundred dollar price for our annual pass, right? But it's discounted five ninety nine. If you add the annual pass and the summer pass and what they cost together, that's that's how you get that, and uh, that is our that is our strategy. How have you been able to rebuild that? You said that your season pass space basically plummeted to nothing around 2017. Did you just have to fully reboot and just start with a higher price and and just tell a different story? I mean, how did you how did you recover from that? It was just being consistent, just having that one thing. I guess we're kind of like being away from that again because I have the Club Baldy that we started the season, which offers discount uh, ticket pricing but that summertime value is the thing that i think that all of our majority of our repurchasing season pass holders like is coming up in the summer we have a robust summertime entertainment calendar all at the top of the notch area we have tent cabin camping and it's you know it's it's a pretty nice experience it's awesome tell tell us a little more about club baldy uh the club baldy is right now if you buy it for 75 dollars then you get to ski for the rest of the season for free. So it basically it's oh, like wow. a, it's like a tier between being a person walking off the street to buy a lift ticket or a season pass holder. It's in the middle to where you just get special pricing depending on what the current season is like. I kind of kind of learned it from the golf course. Golf courses have like a player's pass, right? And so you just get a little bit like a little bit of a discount, or actually you don't pay the green fees, you just pay the cart fee. And it's just an ability to upsell somebody from a, a lift ticket into that club ball the pass for some special pricing and, and there's marketing value there too because you get to you get to give that that's captive audience something when it's appropriate do they buy those tickets ahead of time online or they just walk up to the ticket window they're available online or at the ticket window how popular is that ben robbie have you had a good reception to that this is the first year we've done it and Right now, it's great because there's tremendous value with it. You know, for seventy-five dollars, you can come any any day. We're open for the rest of the season, so they're they're selling well now. When we started the season with it, I kind of focus it as something that we do at our consumer shows. You know, we do we do three of them in the fall in the San Diego, L.A., and Las Vegas. 
So it's it's another avenue to get people into the mountain at a, at a reasonable like you know you don't sell a lot of season passes at those consumer shows you typically sell a lot of discounted lift tickets and so rather than selling discounted lift tickets it's something that we can sell there another route into discounted lift tickets and your neighbor mountain high has done this is the indie pass which for each skier visit you would get a payout have you considered joining the indie pass robbie um no i was contacted by doug like early on and it doesn't make sense for us we're a small mountain we need to control the variabilities of how many people are coming at any given time so like when i talk about like our season pass base it's not massive you know it's not even really a big factor of how we make our annual revenue it's important for the culture that people have them but it's not imperative to our survival like if they didn't exist we would be okay and so part of me is because you know like i said like if you could kind of do the math we have 900 parking spots, right? How many can we actually sell? And so when we, when you open up to one of those conglomerates, this is why it, this is probably part of the reason why we're not getting asked to be purchased by Vale. Because what do we really do for them? How many people really? How much of is that relieving the? If you're because you know, Snow Valley's got I think 3,000 or probably, probably 2,500 parking spots, maybe I don't know. I'm talk, I mean, I, I don't know what it is in comparison to us, but it's a lot more. So that's a big pressure relief for that uh, that icon pass holder, right? But we don't, if we were to open up to something like that, it would just be that much more coming in and kind of wrecks the experience for the people that are loyal to Mount Baldy. So that's the, sorry, I can't even left that out. It's like the loyalty program is probably more important than even the Club Baldy program is that we do cash back on every purchase at the mountain. And if you save those points up, you'll just be getting a free one. Nice. We've given away four just free annual passes this year. Oh, nice. Just because of people spending money at the mountain. Oh, that's beautiful. So, so the, the parking restriction, Robbie, is that just, that's all the land you get from the forest service? There's just nowhere to expand even if you wanted to? Uh, we could probably get some more parking spots, I think. There's definitely, uh, there's some stuff in that for our map, in our master development plan that we're creating now. But it's also it's the uphill capacity as well and how much room is obviously we have a lot of room on the mountain but when it's just chair two and a minimal snow season then where's everyone going to go all right robbie well i look forward to seeing that updated master plan i really appreciate getting a chance to catch up with you today i'm sorry i missed you when i was at the mountain in march but i'll get back out there and we'll make some turns together thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it i think the listeners are going to love hearing about this little gem and i hope they make a chance to stop it in there as well Awesome. Thanks, Stuart. That's Robbie Ellingson, General Manager of Mount Baldy, California. Robbie, I am so glad we got the chance to connect. What an incredibly unique operation you have going up there in the SoCal Mountains. Thank you so much for sharing that story and your family's story with us. And thank you all for listening. Now, go there. Whether you live in SoCal or not, at some point, you are going to find yourself moving through LA in the wintertime, and there is no excuse not to make a detour up to Baldy, especially if you hit it in a good snow year. And even if it is not a good snow year, take the drive up. I guarantee that you will be impressed and maybe amazed, as I was, with what you find up there. And that concludes my trio of California ski podcasts. I will have another coming up next month when I host Tim Kohi, the leader of China Peak. 
and we will talk about that ski area's record snow season and much more. I am sure there will be more California ski pods to come. The very best way to get those episodes as soon as they are live is to subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. New pods appear in your email box several hours before they sync with the podcast services, including Apple and Spotify. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter, and paid subscribers receive podcasts three days before everyone else. You can also follow The Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Stormski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.